Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochilillo. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cochilillo, and today we have Daniel Benoit. He is the you're the founder, right, of uh, the uh, East Coast Bigfoot Research Organization? Yes, that's correct, and that would be me. And you also have a book out. It's the Field Guide to Wildlife and Bigfoot or something like that? Uh, yes, uh, yes. The title uh, it's a wildlife and Bigfoot field guide in an uh, excuse me in an objective view. Uh, view. So, um, I also have a couple other books too, but this is my latest. And uh, this one here is actually it, it's a little bit smaller than the other books, and uh, it's I, I kind of take a lot of pride in this small booklet, and it's basically for the. Uh, you know, the, the enthusiast and uh, new goers, you know, and, and uh, it di- it's directed pretty much well to the younger people uh, as well. It goes to adults as too, you know, because one thing in the field of uh, wildlife and Bigfoot, you know, I've, over the years I've come to find out and realize that you'd be surprised how many adults uh, are not aware of basic wildlife knowledge. So, um, and basically a lot of this, uh, what I put into this with a lot of illustrations and, um, uh, there's actually, I point out what should be common sense to a lot of people. Uh, mm-hmm. however, um, I do point out a lot of illustrations with wildlife identification on tracks and so forth. So, um, uh, and that's pretty much what this book is. It's to give people more awareness of wildlife and, and, and that's my whole thing, even as a Bigfoot researcher, I, I you know, I can't stress enough on wildlife. Um, even when I've given presentations in the past, it's the first thing I tell everybody, well, I'm a wildlife and Bigfoot researcher. Now, I always put wildlife before Bigfoot, and it's more important. It's very important, you know. Um, you know, and that's the objective side of me, too, because uh, one of my f- famous sayings I always tell people if you don't know what is known, how are you going to learn or discover what is considered to be unknown? You know, people out there finding tracks, uh, calling them Bigfoot tracks, when they're misidentification, you know, it, it's simply bear tracks, you know, or, and, you know, people don't realize that there's a lot of bear tracks. I, and don't get me wrong, I've actually almost been fooled myself, but, you know, when you anyone that's getting involved in the Bigfoot world, you can't go out there with Bigfoot on the brain. You know, mm-hmm. Bigfoot should be your last con- uh, last consideration, your last conclusion. Um, it, you know, you got to think about wildlife because wildlife, you know, bears and other animals roam the forest. Bigfoot's not the only one out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so yeah, I do take a very objective approach to this, and uh, you know. Um, but I am a firm Bigfoot believer and knower myself, if I must add, you know, I must add that in there. So, but, uh, well, what, uh, type of tracks are, are most commonly, uh, misidentified as a Bigfoot track? Well, uh, yeah, again, it's, it's, it is very common, uh, to come across bear tracks and, uh, I, I'm going to tell you bear tracks, uh, they're, they are very distinct. However, depending on the terrain that they, uh, the tracks are, 
you know, formed on, they can be very misleading if you don't know what you're looking at. Um, you know, because, you know, bear tracks, um, they, you know, they have the front paws and they have the rear, rear feet. Now, the rear feet look very humanoid. They look just like a, almost a human track, it's especially a young bear, a young cub. Mm-hmm. Their tracks look like little kids' feet, you know. Um, one of the common uh, patterns with a bear is when they walk a majority of the time, and it's not always the case, but most of the time when a bear steps, when their rear foot meets their front paw when they step. So you're combining two different steps right there, forming what appears to be one larger track. So that makes it look like a bipedal track when it's not. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So there's, there's a very common misidentification, you know, um, and that, and that's one thing a lot of people fail to realize, uh, they're, again, they're neglecting what should be known and what should, you know, what should be understood. Um, you know, so, you know, sometimes when, when I, when I talk about this with people in the Bifford community and point these things out, you know, I mean, I, I feel like, um, like I'm not trying to, there's no intentions of da- uh, degrading or, you know, putting someone down, but I feel like this should, it needs to be said to people. It's like, you know, it's like, I don't like to call people stupid, uh, which is wrong, but it's, it's, you know, you want to just get them to understand that they're just, uh, they're misinformed, you know, um, that's the big thing. So, yeah, but, uh, when it comes to tracks, it, that's, it's, uh, it can be challenging, you know, again, even for me, you know, at times I have to be very careful. Um, you know, there's things you have to look for in the track, you know, um, like, do you see the set of toes midway in that track? If, when you're looking at a track, you see one giant step, what appears to be one giant step. The one thing you want to look for and make sure that's not there, again, look uh, look for a breakage in the middle of the step. Do you see another set of toes in there? Mm-hmm. Um, or is the track, like, offset? Um, like, one step of the bear might be straightforward, and, however, the other front step might have a, a turn to it, where it's – because sometimes when bears walk, they have a, their front paws, depending on how heavy the bear is, too that's going to uh, determine on how they step as well. So, yeah, there could be an offset in the track. Um, you know, I guess, uh, you know, again, the, uh, the toe indentions uh, intercept, you know, in the middle of the track. Um, so, yeah, there is a lot of misidentified tracks. Um, now, especially on, even on a single solid bear track. Now, as much as I hike and explore, some of the things that I've come across out in the woods, I've come across bear, uh, um, uh, excuse me, um, a whole trackway of a bear. And there's one particular bear tra- uh, trackway that I was actually following. Um, you know, some people might have thought, you know, after I tell you how big these tracks were, you know, uh, people probably think, well, that's pretty crazy. Why would you follow big bear tracks or any bear track for that matter. Oh, well, these particular bear tracks were easily 15 inches and that's a pretty good uh, size uh, bear. Now keep in mind here in the East coast, North from North to South mm-hmm. uh, and mainly here in Virginia, it's very common. We have a lot of black bears. Black bears are very common here in Virginia and uh, they do get pretty big. So, uh, but yeah, I'm, yeah, sometimes it's good that you can find a single bear track because uh, uh, most of, Bear tracks, 
Uh, one of the ways to identify a bear track, a lot of people say, well, yeah, a bear track would have claws. No, not necessarily. Yeah, a majority of bear tracks display claws. However, not all of them will display claws. Again, that depends on the terrain, the surface, the soil, all the above. Um, but see, I was following a set of bear tracks. Again, they were 15 inches long. And yeah, you can see the front front paws. It was a big enough of a bear where that that rear foot was not connecting with that front paw. Yeah, it's you know when you have your double set bear tracks, um, it's more I believe with your smaller bears. Now, don't get me wrong, it's happened with big bears. Uh, I've seen I've seen an illustration on a documentary with a monster-sized grizzly. Uh, that was in an enclosure where uh, they actually did a uh, a casting of a bear track um, of the bear that was in in the enclosure. That thing had been, I don't know, I'm guessing maybe a thousand pounds. He was huge, from what I recall on the video. And um, yeah, they did a uh, when that bear and, and some of the tracks inside his enclosure they had a double step bear track and they made a casting of it to show what they look like, how, wow, that looks like that could be a monster sized Bigfoot track, you know, when it belongs to a, uh, a big bear. So yeah, it does happen on some, you know, but I believe it's more common with your smaller bears. So yeah, identifying these tracks, uh, it's, it's very crucial, especially to understand um, the difference to make your determination, you know, your, what it is. Um, so, you know, and, and another thing I'm for the record, I'm not no expert in any field. However, I, you know, it's just years of experience and focusing on and studying, um, wildlife in general. Um, but when it comes to the Bigfoot research, I found myself studying bears a lot more because knowing that they're very common and where people misidentify, uh, their tracks often. Um, so yeah, and there's other wildlife and there's other species of, um, different animals, other known mammals and stuff. I like to focus on for my research. Um, so yeah, bear tracks, people be careful. Um, if you're a Bigfoot researcher or just an enthusiast looking out, going out in the woods to look for Bigfoot. Yeah. Not everything you see is Bigfoot related. <laughs> so, so, but. so what is um, uh, something that is unique to a a Bigfoot track that you won't find in a bear track? Well, um, no, a majority of uh, Bigfoot tracks themselves, um, well, the heel for one. Um, a Bigfoot track, or I could even say a human track, uh, but human tracks, you know, a human uh, track, you know, a foot, a human foot only gets so big. On a Bigfoot track compared to a bear track, uh, you're going to have a wider heel. Um, bears, their rear foot, they actually almost have a V, almost a V-shaped pattern foot um, where their heel is more pointed compared to, a Bigfoot track where their track, you know, being a humanoid track, um, it's, it's a lot wider. It basically looks like me, uh, like our, me or you, uh, or any other human, except they have a wider, uh, a wider step, uh, a wider, a wider foot. 
And a lot of times the reason why they will display a wider foot, especially in a track impression, because um, a lot of them it's based off of their weight and the weight being applied into the pressure of their step. So, um, but yeah, and here's the other thing too. Um, in most in a lot of cases, you would have the the uh, the position of the toes or the archway of the toes. And this here, uh, I'm going to be careful how I say this because a bear, a bear's front toes, are you know, or even uh, they're more rounded. Now, just like our toes, if you look at your foot, most of them have a slight arc, you know, with the toes arched down to down. You know, you got your big toe all the way down to your little toe, and in some cases, bears have uh, a, a bear. Um, yeah, like I said, they're more rounded, but some bear tracks, especially like on a more of a grizzly, their front paws, they have more of a, like they do have a slight arch on the shape of their uh, toes. Um, so between the width of the heel and actually the whole foot, to be honest with you, um, yeah, you're going to have that human-shaped look. Um, there is some Bigfoot tracks that are almost uh, – shapeless uh they're actually completely you know I, I don't know the best way to describe this it's like we have an arch bigfoot uh you know a lot of people believe that bigfoot has a instep or an archway um actually more known as what people call the mid tarsal the mid tarsal break um, um as dr jeff meldrum uh likes to put it he refers to it as the flexation um like with our feet, a human foot compared to a Bigfoot track, um, our mid tarsal break, our flexation is actually more towards the top of the foot, close to the ball of the toe where the toes are. Uh, unlike a Bigfoot track, uh, when they step, they have theirs is uh, further back on the foot, where basically it's almost as if they they when they step, it's more flat footed. Um, so when they step off of their uh, from their step. Um, we push off of the ball of our foot as we're walking. Unlike them, they have, it's believed to have, um, their mid tarsal break. It's again, sets back further. So basically just, uh, just a couple of inches or so above, um, just in front of the heel is when they, st where they step off from. Um, so yeah, if you study a, um, um, there's been documentaries where they actually illustrate this, um, and Dr. Jeff Meldrum, um, out of Idaho State University, he actually uh, does a real great illustration on this. Uh, so yeah, there's there's a couple different features there um, to pay attention to. Again, the width of the heel versus a bear being more V-shaped to an, uh, gives it that narrow point. Um, so yeah, width it has a lot to do with it, and uh, the structure of the toes. Uh, toe structures can be very uh, may vary uh, on different tracks. I've seen a number of tracks from other people. I have a small collection of tracks myself that I've collected over the years, and um, not all of them look the same. Uh, I do have some that look similar. Um, I don't know if they're of the same Bigfoot or the same of you know as far as any relation. I that I don't know. Um, but some of the tracks I found have been within a fairly close perimeter, you know, in, in the area that I do a lot of my scouting research in. And, uh, 
So, um, but I have found some pretty wide tracks. Um, so yeah, like I said, width of the heel, um, that's something to pay attention to as well. But it's the best time to go out looking for tracks, like after it rains. Actually, matter of fact, uh, I believe um, I believe it is. To be honest with you, I've actually uh, I made that statement uh, a long time ago. I do believe that it, it depends temperature wise too. Uh, temperature has a lot to do with it, but um, mm -hmm. uh, when when they I believe they more a, uh, when they're active versus when they're not active. But um, yeah, the, uh, here's the thing: um, if they have the thing is if they have been on the move, if they've been moving through the area after it just got done raining, yeah, perfect time to go look for a track. Um, actually, uh, I had actually one of my tracks I found in the past. Um, I mean, of course it, the that particular area where I found the track, it was already wet and muddy and that track had water sitting in it, but the whole shape of the foot and the track and the toes, everything was all there. Um, it was just, I wasn't prepared to try to cast anything like that. Cause you know, um, I didn't have nothing to absorb the water. Uh, it would have been a perfect looking track to the cast, but, uh, so yeah. Um, after, after it rains. Um, and the other thing is too, is, I like to look for tracks around creek beds and mm -hmm. uh, anywhere that provides water sources because you got to consider just like any other animal or apex predator, uh, any animal, you know, because apex predators, I consider a Bigfoot one too. Cause you know, I believe that, you know, I consider them top of the food chain uh, among other animals as well. So, you know, you got to think where they're going to go feed, uh, where their prey goes to feed. So, uh, you got the deer and all the other mammals that go down to the water sources. Um, so yeah, you're going to have a combination of wildlife there, your deer, raccoon, possums, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, you know, and, and I believe Bigfoot will be found around those areas too, as far as evidence of them, because, you know, um, just like every other living species, they got to drink, eat and drink. So, uh, consider the source of the food sources, um, even the different times of year throughout the year when the seasons change and the colder weather sets in, uh, if the prey start moving and migrating to other areas, well, that's food for a lot of animals. So when that food source moves, the predators follow behind. So, um, so yeah, if you want to find where your apex predators are, find where the prey are moving. So, um, there and, you know, and you just might find that evidence. Um, and, and, you know, we were just talking about tracks. Uh, well, we're, you know, talking about tracks and stuff here. Uh, one thing I like to mention, because I've been questioning this, and I've seen other people have been questioning this. And for the record, a lot of people like to ask, well, why do we only find one track at a time? Because when people post pictures on media, on social media, it's a picture of a single track. Um, and a trackway is not always visible or present. And, and the reason behind that is, and I've learned this, I learned this, from uh, finding bear tracks in the same manner. Um, you got to consider the softness of the soil, the terrain that you're walking in on. Because, you know, some areas might be soft where even even me and you could leave impressions or indentions into the ground. Yeah. And then maybe just a, a foot or two away, it just so happens to be more solid, more firm. Um because I remember one time I came across this nice looking bear track and it was the front paw. 
And I was like, man, that's a nice looking bear track. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking around, expected to see more, and I'm not. I was like, wait a minute. I said, there's no way we have a one-foot paw, uh, one, one-paw bear hopping around here on his front paw. So then it dawned on me. I said, I'm starting to look at the ground, and I'm pushing down on the ground with my feet. I said, okay. It's soft here, but it's hard here. So and to me, that made a lot of sense. And I applied that to uh, Bigfoot tracks. You know, yeah, a Bigfoot should be heavy enough and enough weight to make indentions anywhere. But if you have enough solid ground, if the ground is solid and very firm, yeah, you're not going to leave no steps. You're not going to leave no markings. So that makes a um, lot, of, lot of sense. Cause like, even like when, when it, like say, you know, like you're, when you're walking through the wood and you s- step in a spot where you're, you feel yourself sink automatically, I think you go and you look for the solid ground to place your next foot. Just yeah, yeah, exactly. Yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, like, and, and the thing is, even the ground, like, um, yeah, I can see if you're like in a marshy area, uh, you always want to step in the most, you know, the higher spots or the most firm looking spots. But, um, like, well, this bear track that I only saw one of, I mean, it was on a power line area. Uh, so the ground did vary, you know, cause it was mainly just grass and, you know, dirt, some sand. And like I said, it was just kind of. Most of the ground was like just kind of hard and crusty, and then you had like a like a few sandbar spots in there, which kind of sunk in a little bit. So, yeah, I think like I said, it depends, um, you know. And it's the same thing walking in in the forest itself. I mean, the terrain's going to change um, depending on you know how it's laid out. So, um, so yeah, your your ground terrain, the softness of the soil, it, it all that all plays you know, you know, key roles in if a track is going to be left behind. So people need to keep that in mind as well. And, you know, again, that should be common sense, but even when, until I discovered that single bear track, you know, it, it made a lot of sense and it, it, it kind of clicked with me. So, and, uh, I just hope other people understand that as well. Um, now I've heard other people say, well, I've seen Bigfoot tracks in the snow and they come to a dead stop. Well, I don't know what they're seeing. I can't explain that. I've never seen that for myself. Um, and, you know, some people like to believe that Bigfoot is not all flesh and blood. They like mm-hmm. to believe they are something more as what a lot of people believe, interdimensional, uh, that believe they come from another realm or or they're not, you know, they're not from this earth. Um, now, I be, you know, I'll be honest with you, I don't go that way because there's never been any evidence presented that would suggest that um so yeah uh that's something i i I tend to kind of stay away from (laughs) so you know i know there's a lot of people you know i got good friends that believe in that stuff so i kind of leave it alone but if they get me into a conversation or present something or want to start talking about something you know i'll get into it but i prefer not to (laughs) yeah yeah i I had talked to um i interviewed ron moorhead yeah, and, yeah, and, and, and we kind of went into a detail a lot about, you know, like, like me personally. Like, I, I mean, I'm kind of just open on any of these theories, basically. Um, you know, I, I find it really just 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 the whole topic of of cryptids interesting. Um, right. One of the things that that with, with Bigfoot, 
you know, and you've kind of mentioned already, is like they seem to be migratory. And I think they seem to be migratory up and down waterways. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, but, 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 but I wonder, like, like um, how far they go on the continent. Like, did they, did they go all the way across the United States, through Canada, you know, down through, through South America? Um, or, or, or maybe some of them do, and maybe like others that seem to just sort of stay local, like the, um, like for down here, for instance, like skunk apes, they seem to just hang out in the bayou. Uh, well, yeah, there's a lot of food. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, well, here's the thing. I we spoke to uh, we we spoke about Bigfoot migration in a few different discussions. And this is just my mindset, basically uh, my belief or more of my honest opinion. And, and the way I try to look at this, I, I try to look at things as logical as possible. And I do try to keep an open mind on certain things. However, like, you know, like with deer, you know, when, it, you know, uh, you know, and other mammals, you know, they do move around. They, they either go from higher to low ground throughout the years. And, they, you know, um, you know, as far as Bigfoot, you know, I just – the one thing that doesn't make sense to me is, like, for example, I'll use Virginia. I don't see a Bigfoot group or population coming from Virginia and going down to Florida, if that makes any sense. Because without being seen or making, you know, like – yeah, we have a lot of woods and a lot of terrain for them to travel through. Um, people believe they travel up and down the Appalachian Trail, um, you know, around the mountain ranges that travel from Maine down to Georgia. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of wildlife use that, do use that. I mean, people hike that all the time. Um, I just don't see a group of Bigfoots traveling that far, you know. Um, now as far as them with weather and, you know, just like a lot of other species, um, like all the known species that survive year after year in the forest through all the four seasons, you know, look at the deer, you know, when, when the cold weather sets in their, their, uh, their, their fur color changes and, you know, and then sometimes certain animals get more of a winter coat. Um, and that's a natural adaptation. And I believe Bigfoot have they have their own way of adap uh, adaptation. Um, so, you know, they adapt. They they uh, they they've learned to survive, and you know, they I believe they developed a routine like you know like we do living at home and going to work every day or whatever it may be. So, um, I do I just you know that's just the way I look at things. Um, it just to me it just wouldn't make no sense for them to. Um, pack, you know, hey, let's go across the country. And, um, you know, there, there is some people that do believe in that. Um, but I just, it, to me, it just doesn't make sense because, you know, I believe these creatures, I, I, I call them creatures, but they're, yeah, I call them beings and everything else. I have my belief in what they are. However, I just don't see them taking a chance to expose themselves, you know, because, you know, yeah, they can travel so far through woods, but they're gonna be they're gonna have to enter open area eventually. You know, and I I just think that they would be 
like revealing themselves where I believe these are very elusive creatures, you know, and beings that, you know, yeah, people do see them, but I do believe they prefer to be more elusive and more hidden. So, um, I don't, but again, that's just my opinion. That's just how I look at things. So, but now if they do travel like that, I, I don't know the, you know, I have no evidence either way, but you know, maybe they do, maybe they have a way of keeping, keeping themselves really well hidden, but the travel on foot, you know, uh, Oh, here's another thing too, for them to leave it out, out of an area, um, for, for that period of time doesn't make sense for the very fact that through my observations and studies and stuff, you know, the activity and everything that we associate with Bigfoot, like in my particular area, uh, there's year round activity. Um, and there's, you know, there's been tracks found throughout the year and, and other things that I believe are Bigfoot related. Um, you know, so therefore what I'm saying is I don't believe that, you know, if they do travel, maybe not all of them, um, then again, that's considering that they would have to be a, either a large population of them compared to a small population of them. I mean, but I know, I believe in my area, uh, they have the area, they know where to, they just, I feel like that's their home. They know the terrain, they know where to take shelter, um, you know, if there is a, a cave that's hidden around there, um, I do believe, you know, they, they find ways to take shelter throughout the different, um, um, uh, what's the weather, you know, throughout the different weather and everything uh, against the elements. So, um, I just don't see why they would leave the safety of one area that they know into a uncharted territory. You know, uh, I think they're really taking a chance here is if they enter and travel into an unknown area, uh, you know, they don't know nothing about the area. You know, it's not, it wouldn't be native to them versus if they, you know what I'm saying? If like, it's like me, you know, I grew up here in Virginia and I know the area very well. Shoot. I know, I know areas of, I know the area better than people that grew up here all their lives. You know, people don't know about places that I know about, you know, I was like, how do you know? Why don't you know that? You know, you were here before me. You grew up here, you know, and you know, that's just how it is. But, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, that's the way I look at Bigfoot, you know, and, and their lifestyle on how they would, where they would live. Um, again, yeah, I just don't see them leaving the safety of one area that they know and trust. So, right. um, I mean, cause, unless that area is, you know, being destroyed by humans, of course. Oh yeah, like I can see if they were and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah, if they were forced out of an area, uh, I could definitely see that. Um, um, but yeah, if it was if it was by choice, uh, yeah, I think maybe here's the other thing I would consider possibly that if they were to consider moving out of another area, um, they would probably do day travels like maybe work or gradually work their way into another area to, you know, kind of more or less scout it out to get to know that area. And if they, you know, if they feel that it's a good uh, plentiful area where they can feed and live and, you know, stay and stay and remain elusive in that area. Um, I could see them, you know, bringing others out there with them, 
um, if it's a well-hidden area. And again, if it produces food and if the sources are there for them to survive, um, yeah, I could see that happening. But I think just large uh, distant areas at a time, um, I think if they were to move and travel, I think it would be over a period of time. It wouldn't be in a single, like, kind of like, um, you know, I don't think it would be anything like a Canadian geese. I mean, we know, you know, geese and ducks, they, you know, when the cold weather's coming, they head down south, you know. Um, yeah, it's, I don't see, a, you know, Bigfoot really doing that, you know. But, again, migration over a period of time, uh, just like other species of wildlife, like we got wolves here in Virginia, and you know, and some the red wolves has become common to the state of Virginia. However, over a period of time, um, through studies from what I've read online, um, there's been other red wolves and gray wolves that's over a period of time has actually worked their way down uh, from up north. So, you know, and then they slowly populated and, and you know made their way further south. So, you know, I could say, you know, that would be a consideration that Bigfoot would do. I mean, you know, the population would slowly grow and move into one particular location or direction of, you know, whatever it may be. But so, yeah, I mean, to consider Bigfoot, yeah, I would, like I said, I would consider that very possible, but very possible, but almost unlikely. I know, I don't know if that makes any sense. So, but, uh, you know, <laughs> So, so, what do you think? Um, what do you think they are? Do you think they're a type of ape or a type of human? Um, like, like, do you, do you think they're a, a, just a completely unknown species, unrelated to anything that we currently know exists? Well, uh, to be honest with you, um, now I know other people, many other people here. You know, share my uh, a similar um, belief. Um, I know that a lot. Then again, there's a lot of other people think there's something totally different. Uh, but in my honest opinion, and as of right now, till we could, till if we ever find evidence of what they could be, you know, people believe they are human, a type of human. Um, I personally believe that they are some form. Or some type of unclassified primate. Now, you know, and the, you, know, you get people. Well, they're not no primate. They're not a primate. They're human. Well, there's contradiction there because you know, scientifically speaking, as humans, we're considered primates. We're human primates. Um, then you got your gorillas, chimpanzees, bonobos, baboons. Those are your non-human primates. Hmm. Now, I believe they are some form of primate just unclassified form of primate. Uh, now, however, I do, this is uh, another thing when it comes to wildlife. Um, I've never had no physical interaction or observations with chimpanzees, uh, not like Jane Goodall, nothing, but I've done a lot of studies about primates and learned about their behaviors, uh, sometimes the meaning behind some of their vocalizations, their gestures, you know, and things they do. And, and when I've learned a few things, when I read up and studied about some of the primates, uh, some of their behaviors, even their vocalizations, I was like, wait a minute. That's what's happening here in the United States. That's what we're, we're experiencing this. We're finding things that are known primates uh, are known for doing. 
And so I started comparing the two. And it, it was just certain things were making sense to me. That, man, they got to be, they definitely got to be some type of primate. Because, um, you know, as far as the banging on trees, you know, your tree knocks, right. um, similar vocalizations to our, not, uh, to our other non-human primates out in Africa and in the other jungles, um, their vocalizations, forms of communication, um, you know, um, and, and, and all these different things, rock stacks up against trees. Mm-hmm. I found, I, I've come across all this stuff. And, and these other unknown vocals, these different howls, the screams, um, I've heard for myself that are non uh, that are not related to any known species of wildlife um that i compare and so you know and re- relate to our non-human primates and you know so it made me come to the conclusion that these are some type of primates now you know what kind i don't know i can't tell you and you know in in several presentations and and posts and on blogs you know, I've been criticized and ridiculed for some of my, for what I believe they are by you know little, just a little bit of what I mentioned to you, and some people are saying, well, you know, why are you making them equal to humans? I'm not, I'm not by no means, or or why are you making them equal to uh, a, a chimpanzee? Again, I'm not, but there's a lot of close similar similarities here. There's a lot to compare, you know, because. Here's the thing. Uh, some people might call this Bigfoot 101 because I've had YouTube videos where people shared and they they put it in their blogs and titled it Bigfoot 101. Uh, <laughs> you know, because when it comes to Bigfoot research and getting started, you know, because I've, I've even actually mentioned this in a book or two, you know, where people ask me, well, I want to get involved. I want to start looking for Bigfoot. What do I do? Well, First of all, you got to get familiar with your known wildlife. Um, and one of the steps is you need to do a comparison chart. You need to look at what you're, what you're going to research. You know, we got an unknown uh, species here, an unknown, unclassified species. How are we going to determine what he is? Well, you need to pick another subject that closely resembles what he is or what you believe they are to be. So then you take that subject, you take Bigfoot, and then based off of what you come across, what you find, your findings, your observations, your experiences, you got to make a list. And basically, this is kind of something you do back in school, and you can apply the same concept, and it's simple science, you know, where you could just start comparing the traits, start comparing the behaviors, start comparing the vocalizations. Well, do they match up? Does this, does this subject do this? Does this subject do this? Do they sound like this? Do they, do they build stuff like this? You know, um, so, you know, people believe they are a type of human. Well, there's a lot about them that we could rule humans out. Um, you know, some people believe they could speak English. That's okay. Well, there's never been no proof of that. You know, there's no evidence to suggest that they can speak English. You know, there's no evidence to suggest that they can write like we can. Um, there's no evidence to suggest that they, you know, uh, that they've come a long ways to build a fire and build houses like we do. They're very primitive beings. Um, 
So, I mean, you know, some people believe, believe that they are, they got Neanderthal in them. Uh, even the Neanderthal were smart enough to build homes and shelters and, you know, and know how to, you know, whatever. But so, so yeah, but when it comes to researching the unknown subject, which, it could, you know, it, it can be challenging if you really, if you're really passionate about wanting to find out what it is, um, which at this point we don't know what it is, but there's conclusions. There's enough we could, like I said, making a chart for yourself to compare it to another likely subject uh, that you believe it to be. Um, I use primates. I, I've done my comparison. I've done a, and the more I look into it, the more I learn. You know, from different things I. I hear and the different things I see and it's just, it's more and more to me that's pointing towards a primate, an unknown classified primate. I mean, they're, they're bipedal. They're, they walk upright, you know, um, just like a human. And it, a lot of their tracks do look like human feet does not make them a human. Um, a lot of people don't want to, do not want to associate them with Gigantopithecus. Is you know, Gigantopithecus was known and proven to exist. They were a 10 to 12 foot tall primate, more resembling a uh, an orangutan. Um, and again, they are believed to be extinct and only existed in Asia and in Indonesia. Um, you know those areas. Um, so people find it very unlikely that there is any relation. Um, now the thing is. Here's the other thing. In other parts of the country, there's other Bigfoot-related species that, you know, in Asia or Indonesia, you got the, or China, the uh, the in, the, um, and I can't remember all the names right offhand right now, but all these different lo locations have all these different names for a Bigfoot-related creature, some mm -hmm. small, some large. Um, so if these other countries and these other locations have Bigfoot-related creatures, and we got all this here in North America, uh, but yet we knew that Gigantopithecus existed over here because we found fossil evidence of it. Um, I mean, I don't see the impossibility. I don't see how it's impossible for something to actually have once lived on this continent. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, I consider, I consider uh, history, ain't, um, we could call it ancient history, the world was believed to be flooded and before the waters receded and before it separated the land masses, you know, I mean, I believe, I don't know. There's a number of different things you could look at and consider. Uh, I really, you don't know. It's more or less, you know, just talking off the hinge, you know, but um, I don't know. I, I just believe in possibilities. I, I don't like to dismiss certain things. There's a lot I don't like to dismiss. And people always have an excuse why not why we can't consider something, and, and to me, I think that's just it doesn't feel right if that makes any sense. So, <laughs> but um, so so, uh, do you think they purposely avoid humans, and why do you also think that like we haven't been able to basically hunt one down and kill it like we do with deer? Well, here's the thing. I, you know, I believe with history given, I believe these these beings, these subjects are very observant of us. I believe when we enter into their domain, 
if they're around, they're already, they already know we're there. Um, and I believe they observe our primitive ways when it comes to hunting. When at times, you know, when we go to hunt, we take a deer, you know, I don't know if they know why we take deer, you know, because we do it for food, you know, over the years, even back in, you know, way back when things were more primitive, you know, the cavemen and, and everybody else, you know, we had to kill to survive, you know, kill, you know, kill our meat, you know, or whatever it may have been. That's how mankind survived, you know? Well, you know, perhaps they see us as a danger, you know, we could be, we could be considered a, a danger to them. Um, now, as far as, you know, yeah, they are seen. I think there's been some of the stories and some of the reports I've shared you know, or, or been shared too. Uh, I get to thinking about those different things where some of these encounters were very close, like within feet away. Uh, my, my really good friend, uh, Tracy Arnold, he had a very close encounter. Uh, he, it, it scared him out of his wits because after it happened, he got on his phone and the man was panicking. The man was freaked out, you know? Um, yeah. After he had his sighting, you could hear the, the, the fright in his voice as he was talking about what he just encountered. But the thing is, I think about the details he shared of that incident. Um, you know, a lot of people think they can be a threat. Um, through one of my observations, and again, my buddy Tracy, um, there's been other stories where they've been just a few feet away. Um, I believe in a lot of cases when they get spotted like that, it's just, uh, just having to be in the right place at the right time. Um, you know, because uh, in some cases, I think that some of these uh, beings have been watching us or and then they've been caught off guard. Um, for example, even even the road crossings that you hear about, uh, you know, you know, they're not, you know, I, I don't think these subjects are fully aware of what they're walking into that. Hey, oh, crap, a per, you know, a human. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, um. But yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, now, as far as like you were asking, why don't we kill? You know, take one like we do hunt, hunt a deer. Um, I, you know, the thing is, I don't think it's. I want to say I don't think it's possible, but then again, it could be done. Um, I personally don't think it should be done, um, but. You know, scientifically speaking, uh, in order to prove and understand and get to know this thing, you know, yes, it is, it is agreed that a body is necessary um, to fully examine, to understand it. But then there's other considerations so like, well, will the government intervene to cover this up? Well, will, it, will the government even allow us to know that there's something like this that exists? I mean, sure, the government and the, the local authorities deny that there's mountain lions here in the state of Virginia and surrounding states, but yet we see them. But if you call and report one, they said, no, we don't have them here. And that ain't what you saw. Um, you know, I mean, what's the situation going to be with a Bigfoot? You know, are they, you know, if they do, if, if the, if the authorities were to publicly announce that, well, yeah, we got large bipedal hairy primates roaming our forests. You know, and and the public, the non-believers, they're like, "What? 
I'm not going out there. I'm not going to go camping in that park. You know, it's, you know, and then it, here's another thing, uh, the economy, how's that going to affect the economy? Um, if Bigfoot becomes a, a, a publicly known species that's living in North America, in our forests, uh, what's going to happen to the logging industry? Logging is a big part of our, you know, our economy. Back in 1981, out in Northern California, uh, or I believe it's California or Washington, I can't remember the state, but I do remember the year, 1981, when the Spotted Isle was discovered, and immediately it was declared an endangered species, and they didn't want to take a chance to destroy no more, and the logging industry came to a dead stop. And uh, I don't remember the time period or how long it was done, but it, it was stopped long enough to where it was affecting the economy, jobs, um, people are out of work because they weren't allowed to log and take down more forests. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to look at on why, um, why the, you know, the public authority wouldn't consider this. And it would be a bit of a challenge to, to come across a body um, cause in the Bigfoot world, if you, if any individual was to kill on their own and drag it out to the public, look, I took this thing down. Um, he's not going to have many friends, um, you know, in the Bigfoot world, unless he's just some average Joe that doesn't care, you know, but my main thing is if a body was discovered, if you had ways to drag it out and bring, I would bring it to the news source, take every picture, video evidence you can you know, collect the evidence, film yourself, document and everything. Because um, I've always imagined, what happened, you know, I've always asked myself, man, what if I come across the remains of a Bigfoot? You know, yeah, that's one thing I've always talked about, you know, or told myself, I thought, I'm going to set my camera up, because I always carry my cameras out in the woods, my, my camera phone, my camcorder. And um, yeah, if I would film myself, document everything I can about it and take pictures of me collecting any bit of evidence that would produce DNA. And to me, I believe that would be solid concrete evidence right there between video and the specimen right there in front of me, you know? So, um, yeah, it's just, that's just me. I, that's, I, it's just so much to really think about, you know? Um, but, um, I don't know. It's just, uh, again, it, it can be kind of a touchy thing when, when you talk to, when you talk about taking a body and hunting one down. Um, I believe you, cause when I do go out in the woods, I do carry, I, I have a sidearm and mm -hmm. it's not for, and, and it's not for Bigfoot. Uh, cause I know, I know the other predators that roam those forests, right. you know, there's mountain lion, bobcat, big bear. Although I've had a lot of encounters of bears. I'm not really, scared of bears uh you might call me crazy i had a bear run across the forest road on me one time and i stopped my vehicle to run after it just to get a good picture <laughs> <laughs> i do crazy stuff you know but that's me i'm like a wildlife fanatic you know i you know but uh and i've had bears come out of trees you know less than 30 feet away from me you know but um yeah that's the thing bears yeah bears are very they're very skittish animals mm -hmm. they don't like you know yeah, they run off. They usually go the other way. But uh, yeah, yeah but I, I didn't even know we had bears in Alabama until a, 
like two weeks ago, somebody told me. Oh, yeah. No. Well, you know, here's the other thing. I have a lot of people, well, you know, when people present stuff on social media and, like, for example, tracks, like we were talking about, and and I'll look at something the best I can, and from what I observe, I say, well, this clearly looks like a bear track. Oh, we don't have bears here in my area. See, you all know that. Just because you don't see them does not mean they're not there. Because a lot of bears, even though they're seen during the daytime, bears are more active at nighttime. So it's just like Bigfoot. Bigfoot's been known to be seen during the daytime, but they are more active at nighttime. There's a lot of species that are like that. Um, but bears, bears are semi-elusive, even though we see them. And when bear hunters go bear hunting, uh, I don't know about every other state, but here in Virginia, they got a pack of dogs running and pushing them out. So, mm-hmm. so I think your average bear hunter, if dogs were illegal, like they are, you can't you can't hunt deer with dogs over here. But they do that with bears, and uh, basically they treat a bear like you do coon hunting. You know, my, my father grew up as you know, doing coon hunting, and you treat you treat them. But that, I mean, that's how they do a bear. Anyway, um, that's the thing. People say, "Well, I don't have bear in my area." I don't, have, but bears they do travel they do move around and and the other thing is i'll get like if i'm not particular about their uh, their certain area i'll go online it's public information when it comes to bears there's you know if bears are reported or spotted or if there's a history of bears in any particular area it's going to be public information and i've done a research in certain areas and i've shared to these people that claim well there's no bears in my area well well, according to uh, the local uh, department of, you know, DNR or whoever the officials are in your area, according to their records, uh, you have a good population of bear in your area. Uh, you know, so, but people, that's a problem. People don't want to hear about that. They want to, they want to throw out wildlife. They want to get rid of, they want to neglect wildlife. They don't want to consider that, okay, it could be some known species. Everything's got to be Bigfoot to them because they want the praise, they want the attention, mm-hmm. you know, or just for their own, whatever, their self-praise, you know. I personally find it more, um, I don't know what's the word, uh, more satisfying, you know, to, to be able to rule out what something could be, you know. Uh, I want to find out the truth of it. If it's, you know, if it's only some other known species, so be it, you know. I I I of all people know that not everything in the woods is going to be about Bigfoot, and and that's the thing. So, but um, yeah, um, yeah, just people got to learn to stop, take a step back, relax, breathe, and you know, and, and the the whole thing about Bigfoot research, it can be it can be a whole lot of fun. It really can. It can be a whole whole lot of fun. And, um, but it could be very educational if they just go about it the right way. Then again, I, I got to be careful saying that because really when it comes to Bigfoot research, there's no right or wrong way. Um, but then again, with somebody like me that takes this into a, uh, takes my research seriously, because, you know, like I said, a big part of my research is wildlife. So I right. do take it seriously. And there's, and, and, and scientifically there's protocols and steps, uh, to better um, to better collect evidence as well, you know. Um, I know there's a uh, there's a university um, 
well, there's a professor at a university I've spoken to numerous times uh, who's had uh, dealings, and uh, he was associated with the late Dr. John Bernernagel, uh, who was very well involved with Bigfoot. Uh, however, he, he is a wildlife biologist, and of course, he's passed away a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, and he, uh, this professor had shared a lot of information with me and uh, a lot of discussions because he's been involved with primatologists and other biologists. And uh, he deals with a chemistry lab at the university. And um, he's actually shared with me some basic protocol steps for uh, that we should start practicing in the field. Um, as far as when it comes to collecting evidence, uh, for example, I'll throw, I'll throw this one out there. We come across tracks, okay? Uh, when we see a, good, uh, a well-defined track, um, there's evidence that we can gather from that track. Um, soil samples, for example. We could collect soil samples. Take a, uh, take a soil sample of the track, take a soil sample outside of the track, keep them separated where they can be compared and analyze and so forth and um you know and then in the lab send them out to the lab and the lab would do it part of their for you know uh we'll consider doing it um part of educational purposes and um but anyway as far as the samples you know there's a lot of different things we could do uh and the, and part of these protocols and these basic steps they're uh, they're basically for mainstream science um if we were to start taking um, these steps more professionally and with with um, a lot of care and caution, mainstream science just might start opening it up to the uh, the possibility of the existence because mainstream science totally denies things. You know, um, they believe that there's no way in hell that a, a, a subject described as Bigfoot cannot exist. But there's a history behind it. You know, you know people are seeing. People are experiencing things. I mean, and I mean, there's no way there's people out deep in the middle of the forest in these remote forests making these tracks, you know, and <laughs> people and people happen to find them so fresh, you know, right. um, you know. So I mean, because when I go out into the woods, you know, I know other people. There's other people in the area that know about me and what I do, but when I go out to the woods, I don't always announce it. Or if I do announce it, I don't say, well, I'm going to be at this particular location. I'm going to be looking in this particular location. So, yeah, come hoax me. You know, that's the reason I don't announce it. And I tell people and I advise people, if you're going to talk about what you're doing and where you're going, um, you know, that you're taking a chance. You're really taking a chance. You don't, you know, it's like going to war with the enemy. Like, you don't pop your head up and say, hey, I'm over here. You know, you got to shoot right here. You know, that's basically what you're doing is throwing the red flag to everybody. You say, you know, because there's people out there that like hopes of people. They they get a kick off, of it, you know. So, um, so I like to believe what I do find is real, you know, um, authentic that it does belong to what I'm looking for, <laughs> you know. So, but the whole Bigfoot research thing for me, it's it's um. Uh, it's a passion. It's a strong interest. It's educational and it's fun. Uh, for one, I just love being out in the woods. You know, right. there's a lot to a lot to experience, a lot to observe, a lot to take in. You know, 
So even when I when I'm out deer hunting, you know, because uh, the week of uh, Thanksgiving, I'm gonna be out there camping uh, during you know for a few days or so. And uh, but when I'm out there walking in the woods, if I'm not set up, you know, if I'm exploring through the woods, I can't help but look, stop, look, and just observe, you know. You know, that's just how I am. Well, especially when you're out there deer hunting, you got to be quiet anyway. But, but I'm always finding myself looking at things that could be Bigfoot related. You know, like structures. Oh, structures are very controversial. They're very debatable, and uh, I love finding structures that look like they were handmade. You know, now that's another thing. Finding structures could hey, they be human made? What is it with these weird stick formation things that? They say are made by Bigfoots. Well, he, well, here's the thing too, and, and this is another thing. Um, uh, I have become very objective towards a lot of this stuff because, you know, like everybody else, especially your newer, your newer people, your enthusiasts, when they find my favorite kind of structure to find is a teepee style structure. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people go out in the woods, they find this. Look, there's a Bigfoot structure. Well, wait a minute here. Well, you're in this spot. It's a teepee. Well, how do you know somebody else didn't build that? You know, um, because apparently some of these f- structures or formations, clearly, if you study it and analyze it, well, it took something with opposable thumbs to be able to grab this and put them together in this particular way. That's one thing you have to look at. Um, and there is certain structures that get you thinking. Okay, well. Even if a, a human did this, you got to look at what would make it impossible for a human to do something such as what we might come across. Um, one particular structure I've come across in uh, probably about a year, maybe two years ago, it looked like it was a the start of a uh, like a shelter, but it was more of a clustered teepee where these lo- big large logs were all leaning up against the tree, but going around the whole tree. They were kind of spread out. Um, I, I want to believe that it could have been Bigfoot-related, but then I got to thinking, I said, well, it's on top of this ridge. You know, maybe some kind of hunter started putting this together, you know, as a blind, but he uh, he went quite the distance putting all this stuff up here, you know, and – uh Looks like he got more of a workout than he did get to go hunting because, you know, <laughs> you know, that's, you know, I don't know, just things like that is what I look at. Um, I guess when it comes to structure, some of the things I find more fascinating too, like I said, I like finding TV structures because I consider the possibility that they could be Bigfoot related, but I'm not going to admit that they are. Um, the other thing is too, I found on more than one occasion is a group of different tree limbs and branches that have been twined, uh, you know, woven together. Um, those ones, those are the things I really find fascinating because, like, like I said, different branches from different trees. And like, you got, you might have a small oak sapling, pine sapling, whatever, you know, gum tree, whatever it is, all these different saplings and vines, and some of them are just woven and twisted together. And if you look at it carefully enough, you can see that they were not grown like that. There was no way these had been grown. And any kind of twist formation, you know, again, some of these formations and these structures that we come across, 
indicate that yeah they were made you know not by you know the the unnatural made formations um and when i when i find woven branches of trees i was like why would a human do something like this you know you they're, they're, you just have to question a lot you got to you know it comes it comes to trying to rule things out but um a lot of people look at a, a broken tree no, that's Bigfoot. That's Bigfoot. No, bears are very common for playing and pushing and uprooting trees. They break trees. They bend trees. Uh, you know, so that's another thing I'm very objective towards a lot of these different tree breaks and, you know, stuff too, because bears are notorious for bending and breaking trees. Well, in some cases, some people are like, well, look at this tree break. It's got a twist in it. You know, that there is a very debatable issue. Uh, one right there too. Well, okay. In most cases, it got bent and broke, and it's twisted. Well, here's some science for you. When it comes to trees, what, what a lot of people don't realize, what you don't see, when you look at a tree, we only see the outside appearance of it. We don't see the inside fibers. Because there's a lot of different types of trees and styles of trees. The fibers grow in a twisted formation on the inside. Again, we're not going to see that on the outside. So regardless of who or what breaks that tree, yeah, there's going to be a twist in the grains, the fibers of that tree. When that tree gets broke down, it's, yeah, it will appear to have a twisted formation in it. Uh, now, on the other hand, you, have, you will have a broken tree. That would be what some people refer to as a corkscrew pattern, where the tree would be uh, broke, like you break it, stab it over, and take it, and it looks like it's been pushed, you know, twisted around the, the tree itself. Now, you know, that there has been very fascinating to a lot of people. I found small trees, small saplings that looked like that. Now, that could have been from another human breaking and trying to twist something off for whatever reason. Um, and I, I will not rule out a bear on some of those. So, now, with all that being said... Any of these structures that we relate or consider that could be Bigfoot related, um, again, when, you know, why does Bigfoot do these for the ones he might be doing? Um, well, it could be for a number of reasons. Uh, they could be trying to break something to grab a stick uh, for a weapon against their prey, or, or if we look at things in a primate sense, Gorillas and uh, other primates, they break trees and they will destroy a tree because that's one way of, that's one way they display their intimidation or their aggression. So if, is Bigfoot doing it for that reason? I don't know. We don't know, you know, but our gr gorillas do it. Gorillas will break and destroy a tree and mangle it all up. But, you know, well, I don't know why. If Bigfoot's doing the same thing, we don't know why. But again, if we want to compare and look at the reason why a gorilla does it, you know, it could be the same thing. Um, you know, then again, people believe that Bigfoot uses, uh, like some of the teepee structures that I was talking about, some people believe that they could be uh, a, a start or some type of formation of a, of a shelter. And some of the thing is, I don't see some of these being quite as a shelter because 
um, or some people refer to them as temporary shelters. Temporary shelters, I mean, why use it as a temporary shelter? They're, they're, they're fully exposed to the elements. And your average Joe, like me, walking through the woods that comes across this, well, if something was underneath that, well, they're not hidden because I could see right through it. You know, you can see everything at the base of that tree, you know. Yeah, I would think those are probably more of some type of marker, wouldn't you think? Well, you know, it's funny you say that. Uh, yeah, I, I believe that some of these formations are different types of markers. Uh, for, for example, uh, it could be a location marker, territorial marker. Um, um, some rare structures that I come across is uh, also known as X formations, where you have two trees that have been pushed over that are touching or connected um, most times they are fairly large trees and I find small, I find smaller trees like this, but, um, you know, and the other thing is too, did these two trees have to fall, fall this way from weather and, you know, a lot of trees, there's a lot of damage and a lot of bizarre, odd stuff that happens in the woods, um, uh, at nighttime or during, throughout a storm and strong winds. Uh, so that's another thing people really got to be careful and consider nature, you know, the weather, um, the weather has been known to create some very fascinating looking stuff, you know, and some of the stuff I come across, I, I, I take a lot of pictures of this stuff and I'll post it publicly and let people observe it, you know, and everybody has their own, uh, thoughts about, Oh, okay, man, you know, they think it's Bigfoot related, which it could be, it could not be, but I'm not going to, you know, down anybody for thinking or believing what they want. It's, to me, when I refer to something, I consider them all possibilities. Um, I try not to rule anything out unless I knew, unless I know for sure and have evidence or observe what actually did something or made something, if that makes any sense. But uh, yeah, a lot of these different markers, if they are Bigfoot related, if Bigfoot is making them, uh, again, um, I believe a lot of them could be, you know, territorial or signs of dominance, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I don't think... Or, or, or maybe it's just to, like, if you have different families of Bigfoots, maybe like one, you know, is, is the way to say, like, like this this area belongs to my family. Right. Yeah, that could be a very good possibility. Um, yeah, because a lot of people believe that Bigfoot operates in groups and clans. Well... I actually believe that because our known, again, our known species of primates uh, operate in groups. They hunt mm -hmm. in groups. Um, um, back in 2014, six of us during a camping trip, uh, we were about a mile from camp. Um, to make a long story short, um, we actually end up observe, observing three different subjects. And of course, this one was late after midnight, and the first thing that was observed was eye shine, uh, unknown eye shine, and that you know we had no idea what the heck we were looking at, but but they all had all three of them had the same color eye shine, and and to give you a height comparison on each one, there was there was a small one, the small one he had like a, a really fast kind of quick swaying side to side motion but he was only probably about four feet tall then the second one which appeared a few minutes after we observed the small one was around six feet tall and again very large spaced out uh, yellowish looking eyes 
And um, for the longest time, we were just staring at the two. Now, keep in mind, we only saw the eye shine. We weren't mm-hmm. seeing no shades. We weren't seeing the old details. But this was just off the side of the forest road, but a, a good 30 feet maybe. And, uh, well, the smallest one was actually a little closer, but we estimated at least 30 feet. And then behind the bushes uh, appeared this other one, which the eye shine started low and actually started raising up, raising up, raising up. And by the time it stood up, it was towering over top of the six-foot one easily by two feet. So we had a four-foot, six-foot, and now we had an eight-foot one. And, um, and and for the record, for the next day, we actually did a height comparison. And we actually we, – we believe our estimation on the heights were pretty accurate. Mm. But now, besides seeing three sets of eye shine, uh, for, uh, for the record, on the tallest one, uh, what confirmed this to us the, uh, that these were squatches, Bigfoots, is that the tallest one did a, a side step motion and took a step and looked back at us. And when it made this maneuver, because we were using headlamps, and keep in mind it was pitch dark looking into the woods right here where we were, the observation, I know Tracy, Tracy uh, admits the scene as too because he was with us, him and his son. And, and when it made this maneuver, because of um, our headlamps, it produced a silhouette shape and wide, broad shoulders and a big round head. If for that, you know, for that quick motion, it took mm-hmm. to the side and stepped and looked back at us. Yeah. That was able to be made out because it was basically from the, you know, from the chest up because the rest of it was, you know, behind the bushes and um, it, it was, pretty exciting to see that much because I would have loved to see more. I really would have loved to have seen more, but because it was so dark in there and we only saw a silhouette, the only reason I could think that we didn't see other details would be that, well, they got to have dark fur or hair. I mean, their dark hair or fur was definitely blending in with a, with a dark background because like I said, the whole forest was pitch dark. And it was, you know, after just after midnight. So, um, but the the point of the story is that I believe that those three were a possibly family unit. I believe they had the small one was a juvenile. I believe the six foot one had to been a female, and the tallest one had to been the male. Assume just assuming that, because you know, like I said, there was no details made out except for the shape of the big one. So. And uh, it was a very cool observation. And they, you know, after it was all said and done, they had all turned off and went further into the darkness. And so we continued up the forest road after observing this and made our way back to camp. So uh, no sounds and nothing was ever made out from that observation. But it will never be forgotten um, leading up to that Um, and just everything else. Because a year later, by myself, I had a similar uh, – well, I didn't see nothing, but I had something very large and heavy walk away from me just inside the tree line. I was camping just around the corner from that same spot back in 2015. And I started shining my spotlight in the woods, and I had a deer run off, and and I kept shining my spotlight. I was panning over to my right, and then all of a sudden, whatever was inside that tree line, there was no mistaken and no doubt that it was very large. And it was very heavy, and 
bipedal because every step it took, you could hear it, whatever it stepped on, crunch and crack. And then at the same time, there was the thump with every step. And, uh, you know, like I said, even though I didn't see it, there was no denying it. Those were bipedal steps. That was no bear. I know bears. I've been very close to bears, especially in my tent. I woke up to bears being on the outside of my tent. And even the bear, uh, the bear that came out of the tree when they, uh, that I told you about earlier, when it came crashing and thumping out of the, the tree, when that ran off for, you know, to hear a bear step, they would have to be very, very close to you, you know, but, um, bear, uh, but most of the time bears, because of the padding on their feet, they are very quiet. So literally they could actually almost walk up on you. Um, but anyway, like I said, whatever walked away from me that night, um, and I was alone too, and there was no one else camping in that area. Um, yeah, it was kind of freakish. It had me freaking out a little bit, but I was trying to stay calm. But when I heard, when I heard those steps, as heavy as they were walking away from me, I walked backwards back to my camp, <laughs> trying to reach my, <laughs> yeah, I was reaching my keys on my belt loop, uh, hitting the, the, uh, the button on my, uh, on my key chain to make sure my blazer was un unlocked just in case I had to jump in there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but I went, I made, I walked back to camp, uh, my camp spot right there and uh, made the fire a little bit bigger, kept my shotgun close. And I actually, I, I actually felt relaxed after that because I got to thinking about that. I was like, man, if that wanted to come after me, it could have, you yeah. know, but, you know, and that's the thing with just between the 2014 event, that event, you know, and then hearing the other stories that people uh, of the sightings that people have actually had here in Virginia, not one of them was any, anything that was aggressive. I mean, in most cases, the subject and the people were basically, they were caught, they caught off, uh, they, they, you know, they were caught off guard, you know, and it, it was, you, you know, you know, you just don't think about those kind of things when you're in the woods, you know, but, um, I don't know. In, in my opinion, I just believe that most of these Bigfoot, you know, they're just very curious. I believe they're very curious, you know. Um, and like my Tracy, uh, my buddy Tracy Arnold, his his uh, sighting. I mean, well, I mean, just the way he described it, it got me thinking. I feel like that Bigfoot was like, basically, like, oh crap, our human. <laughs> you know it was like that that bigfoot was staying still you know because it was he said it was down it was kind of crouched down but it was almost still as tall as the bushes that it was crouched down next to you know so i was like you know just hearing the different stories you know but and then hearing people's sightings like i had this one uh story from a lady and her daughter riding up the mountain over here uh but eight o'clock in the morning she almost went off the road staring at what she was staring at that was standing up next to a tree. And I, I met up with her. She took me to the spot where she saw her. And, and while she was staring, uh, staring at it, almost going off the road, she was actually tapping on her daughter in, in the other seat, kind of like make, uh, getting her to look up, uh, look at what she was looking at. So, and the daughter had to look at it. And, but, you know, you got, you got a Bigfoot standing next to a tree. You know, keep in mind, it's, it's a busy, the, the road that she was on, it was considered, a, it's not considered a highway, but it's a very active road, you know, that goes up over the mountain into the other county. And, uh, 
in the in a part of this mountain is all part of the Blue Ridge. And uh, you know, but just from what she described it, I say, man, it sounds like it was just checking off, you know, cars. It's like, how often do they get to see cars? You know, I mean, um, so you know, it was probably just doing a have to check things out. It got curious enough to walk that close to the, you know, the edge of the tree line to be standing there. You know, you know, something like that. You know, it's it's funny that the lady actually caught the the details of that subject because. You know, a lot of times people believe that they blend in with the trees and, you know, they blend in with nature. And I believe that. I, I really do because, uh, shoot, deer do that, you know. Uh, bear, bears do that. My father shared uh, one of his bear encounters uh, with me during when he was hunting in the woods. And he didn't know what the heck he, he, didn't know what the heck he was looking at. He, he saw some burnt stumps in the area, and he was staring at one that he said, well, this one particular stump looked very odd and he was just standing there staring at this and all of a sudden from out of nowhere, this big giant massive head popped up and then he revealed the rest of the body got revealed and he said, Daniel, he said, that's the biggest black bear I've ever seen. Uh, he said, the, you know, it was grubbing out in the, in the old, you know, in the old stump because bears, that's what bears do. You know, they grub for, they, they feed on grubs and bugs and everything else around old stumps and whatever logs, and everything else. That's part of their main diet, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but, um, but he said that bear looked, you know, lift his head up. Dad said it looked at him for a few seconds and just slowly turned around and went off further up into the woods. But, um, you know, like I said, black bears, they really don't mess with people. You would have to really try to, pee them off you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. and uh or if that happened to be a female um with cubs you know then you might have expected to you know you might have an issue but uh so yeah it's just all the there's a lot of stories that you know besides my own experiences there's a lot of stories i've gathered from others you know, the experiences and sightings they've had here in virginia um but um Bigfoot here, uh, Bigfoot is truly here in Virginia, and they do exist. Um, like I said, over the years, I got a collection of tracks. Uh, you know, I've had, you know, my encounters and several other experiences that I'll, you know, never forget. I document them one way or another. So, um, and I'm going to keep going at it. Um, you know, cause you know, I don't always go out by myself. I, I mean, I'm, I go out quite a bit by myself and pretty deep in the woods. Um, I've actually, I host gatherings. I bring other people out there to experience things and, um, show others around. And I actually got an event coming up in May. Uh, um, yeah, May of 2021 where I plan on doing a week long camping event. So, um, you know, and the thing is, it's a hit and miss, you know, you're not always going to experience something, but, uh, we just had an outing a few weeks ago. We had a good, uh, a good little group, uh, gather together and we had a really great time. It was basically get a uh, get together, share stories around a campfire and, you know, and, and just have fellowship and meet new people in person for the first time, which was great. But uh, it was a surprise. Uh, we we've had a, we heard a couple of things that night, which was pretty cool. We had some kind of pretty wild, unknown yell or howl of some sort, mm. and then something loud that gets crashed in the river behind our camp. But uh, 
yeah, and that was this is all at nighttime. So, um, but yeah, it was exciting for those who got to hear it there, you know. But so, but uh, I don't know. Any, I'll take any bit of activity that happens. I mean, I love it all. I like experiencing it all. But it's uh, like I said, it's not always going to happen. You you can't you can't expect something to happen. You just got to hope that it happens. <laughs> right. You know. So, but. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would love to one day encounter a squatch. Well, uh, if you ever want to come up to Virginia, I mean, you're more than welcome to come up here. I'll, I mean, I'll welcome you. You, know? <laughs> you can come up. Like I said, I got an outing coming up in May. Um, I forget. I have the dates written down, but they're not in front of me right now. I forget. But, uh, but yeah, um, I post things usually uh, publicly on, on, uh, on my Facebook timeline. I actually have uh, a Facebook group, my main ECBRO Facebook group, and then I have Facebook pages because um, I have my uh, – I hold the annual event every year too um, in Virginia, the, um, the annual Virginia Bigfoot Conference, um, and that usually has a good turnout. And I have a Facebook page just for that event. I also have a website, vabigfootcon.com. So um, I try to – put updates. I have yet to do some updates in it right now because I'm working on uh, some speakers. I've been getting emails from people that are showing interest and wanting to be speakers. Um, so I'm working on gathering them up right now. I already have a few that was confirmed because this is actually going to be our third annual event. It was supposed to happen this year, but it got postponed um, due to the pandemic and everything. If right. through a wrench and everything is, but uh, yeah, it's kind of a, a lot of headache when you got to cancel things out and contact everybody and make arrangements. <laughs> so, but it's all good, but uh, it's a fun thing. Cause you know, I've been, um, yeah, if things don't get canceled out this year, I'll, I'll be the, as far as the farther South I'll be the, uh, coming up. I was there last year down in South Carolina. They had their fir uh, first annual event last October. And that was an awesome event. Uh, it was a really great event. And in Westminster, South Carolina, that whole event had that street pretty crowded and full. And uh, people loved it, you know. So, yeah, I'll probably be back down there then. And then it's too early to say where else I might be. It, it, I get, Sometimes I get invited to other places to go speak. But I have to very carefully plan my time out because I can't <laughs> neglect what I got. Yeah, cause I only have so much uh, vacation time a year, you know, I, I and, hear you there. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Between that I get and my free. wife, I don't have much time. Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I get, I get three weeks a year, you know, but you know, a lot of people might think, well, that's a lot. Well, it's not, if you plan it out too quick, you know, <laughs> and use it up quick, but, but yeah, that's why I got my camping, uh, my camping hunting trip this month, you know, and, that's the last of my PTO for this year. So it doesn't renew till after the first of the year. So, <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, hopefully next year goes well. I, I just hope everything work, works out, you know, and, uh, yeah, I'm getting tired of hearing about the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it can't, it can't be worse than this year. <laughs> well, I know, I know this has been very chaotic, you know, so even through all this, crazy mess that we're going through here, you know, through the whole year, 2020. I mean, I made the best of it. You know, I, I, I kept my focus on Bigfoot and, you know, and then if I'm not out doing Bigfoot, 
you know, I'm spending my time uh, with my girlfriend and, and the kids. So, you know, we have a great time together and I have probably the most amazing girlfriend ever, you know, cause you know, she, she loves being out in the woods. She loves the whole Bigfoot subject. And, uh, <laughs> and I tell you what her and their kids, they love it too. And the, uh-huh. you know, the more we get out in the woods, they find it very fascinating, you know? So it's, uh, you know, I love, you know, cause there's things like the kids get excited. Like one of the last times we were out there in the woods, you know, I was pointing out some deer tracks to one of the boys and he got so excited. He went running to the, uh, his, his brother and sisters like, guys, there's the deer tracks over here. Deer, you know, and I show him deer poop, man. You never, I never heard anyone get excited over deer poop. <laughs> you know, I mean like, yeah, that's what animals do in the woods, you know, <laughs> but it was cool, man. I get excited. I'm glad the kids, you know, get to see that, you know, cause you know, but, uh, yeah, cause it's, uh, yeah. Cause my, my, my girlfriend, uh, she, you know, she's, divorced from her ex-husband and and you know they used to live up in new york you know of course mm-hmm. being up there in queens in new york you know you're not going to see much wildlife up there you know <laughs> no. just the locals i guess but <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh yeah so yeah I'm, uh but yeah i'm glad it worked out for me because you know, she, she she moved back down to tennessee after she left you know and divorced her husband because that's where she's originally from tennessee so so yeah, now she moved here. Now she's here in Virginia. You know, we I've, I've known this girl for like at least four years, and um, you know, we've talked a lot over the years. And now that you know, we she's here, we connected, and it's been amazing. So, <laughs> you know, couldn't That's ask for great. nothing else. You know, it's yeah, it's definitely I, I worth know, it. I don't I don't think I can get my wife to go out looking for Bigfoot. Oh man, what about camping? I mean, could you at least get her to go out camping? You, you know. Like for the last ten years, like camping was like off limits, but just a couple of weeks ago, she went to a campground and hung out with some of her friends. And now she's like, now she wants to try it, so which is good. You know? <laughs> Cause, cause I used to go camping all the time, and I miss it. <laughs> oh man, I tell you what, I think if she, yeah, if I, I think if she gives it, a, if she gives it a chance, I think she really would like it because camping just grows on people. It just, you know, just it's fascinating just being out in nature, you know, and, and if you get to hear things, I, I think it's a plus being out there and it, it's a plus if you get to experience, you know, the sounds of nature at nighttime out there, mm-hmm. like out in my area, uh, a lot of times you'll, you know, you'll hear coyotes, howl, uh, barred owls, barred owls are very common here in Virginia and I love hearing them because sometimes they'll surround you camp and then, uh, Oh, whippoorwills, whippoorwills are cool to hear too but man they are annoying especially when it's dead quiet and you're trying to lay down for the night in a tent and you got the whoop wheels surrounding <laughs> uh, they got to be like sometimes some nights they're like in every tree you know doing their noises you know i was like man will you guys shut up because <laughs> yeah they're so close it's loud you know but then all of a sudden if they come to a dead stop and every other that's another thing too you get the sounds of you know, sounds of the forest at nighttime. You got the chirping little frogs. You yeah. got the, whatever it may be, and That's they like always say, like, like where I live here. Like if I go out in my back at yard at night during the summer, I hear all kinds of stuff. So I'm like, I live like right on the border of like a whole bunch of woods in a in a stream. So right. like 
so you hear like all the frogs and the cicadas and the owls and hmm. it's nice. Well, now, yeah, you said you were down in Alabama, right? Yeah. Now I know the state of Alabama. I know, um, like I said, there's a couple of friends of mine that live down there. There's one guy named Alex Bob. He on YouTube he goes by Bigfoot Bob, and uh, man, he's got he's had some great stuff on his YouTube videos. Um, I don't know how often he gets out now since he's married now, <laughs> but, but, um, between him and, you know, other stories and reports from others, uh, Alabama actually really appears to be a hot spot for Bigfoot activity and sightings. Oh yeah. So, I, I've, I've talked to hunters down here and I've actually had, I was talking to one guy and he was telling me like, he goes, man, you're more likely to see a Bigfoot than you are a deer here. Wow. <laughs> which, doesn't, which doesn't surprise me because it's so undeveloped. Right, and, right. And, and, and especially, like, like, I'm in, like, the lowest part of like I'm in by the Gulf. You know, I keep getting hit by the hurricanes and stuff. But, oh, yeah. But, but there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of bayou, a lot of swamp, a lot of places for wow. them just to, you know, they, they could probably live there for forever <laughs> and never be found and have food. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know uh, this. Uh, this one girl. At, her name's Ashley Jacobs, and I know she's like, she's like, you got to come down here. You got to come down here and investigate. You know, blah blah blah. I was like, well, I'd say I would love to because I know my buddy that's in uh, Georgia. And I was like, he, he was telling me about something he was planning. Uh, like, I think he was trying to trying to get a few people together this month. I said, man, I can't come down this month. I said, I, I already got plans. You know, so and. Uh, I said, sometime after the first year, if you do something, you know. And he's like, well, I, he's, I might do something around March. I said, I think it might be a little too cold yet, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know. It all depends. I mean, I, it's just uh, I know I get people to decide they make random things, and they're just too soon for me to plan things, you know. But I need I need time, you know, especially with the company I'm working for right now. They're, uh, you know, they're another company has bought them out. So I don't know how the transition is going to go as this new company takes over over the next couple of weeks. So yeah, it's always so, tricky. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see how that's. Yeah. Well, from this other company, they are bigger than our company and uh, like they're nationwide. So it's like, I looked online and I said, well, they do pay their drivers a lot better. So, you know, cause that's what I do now. I'm, I work out, uh, I deliver, you know, construction material and stuff. And, you know, you know, I'm all over the state of Virginia, you know, out West Virginia, I go down, but I've been down to Tennessee before and in other parts of Pennsylvania, but, um, you know, I get paid fairly decent, you know, I get paid by the hour, but according to what I saw online, I was like, huh, this is almost $4 an hour more than what we, I'm getting paid. I said, I, I hope they up my brazen when they take over. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it'd be nice. <laughs> so, yeah, because I mean, I, I drive a, you know, I drive an international straight truck. You know, it all depends. I just, our company has a couple of different trucks, but they're, uh, they're both non-CDL. But, you know, the big, uh, like I said, the big truck we have, uh, it's, you know, just a simple, you know, we've got a 20 foot six flatbed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know six-speed transmission, and nothing sucks going uphill with a load. You're you're basically, in, yeah, you're like in serious creeper mode when you're going up a hill with a load. 
you got to downshift and throw your flashes on like all the other truck drivers. Like, oh man, so now I know how you guys feel. <laughs> 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 yeah, my my sister up in Rhode Island uh, when she divorced her husband because he used to be a truck driver, and uh, she actually had gone out and got her CDL. Now she's driving a tractor trailer and. And she was telling me about her driving experience. She said, yeah, I know. She said, isn't that embarrassing? I said, well, no, not really. I mean, but it's like, I was like, I don't, uh, I mean, uh, the other truckers got to do it, you know, but watch everybody else fly by you while you're creeping up the hill at 35, <laughs> 40 miles an hour. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> but it is what it is. I, I love my job though. I really do. I mean, I love having windshield time, getting out, seeing the different scenery, depending on where I got to drive to, and you know, do a lot of mountain driving and stuff, going over the mountains and stuff, and seeing other scenery in other states, you know. So, but <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. So yeah, it does sound cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Sometimes my boss, he doesn't mind. Like, there's certain areas I go into if I if I finish my delivery. He knows sometimes, like, if I'm in a certain area that looks what I would consider squatchy looking, mm -hmm. I was like, if I got enough, like, if I have enough time, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get out of the truck and look around the woods or, or, for, or even if it's just a scenery, I was like, man, this is nice scenery. I'll stop and take pictures, you know. I'm always doing stuff like that, you know, because uh, especially if I'm in an area that I'm familiar with, like, wait a minute, like, I'll, I'll be driving through a certain area. I was like, Oh man, I've heard about this area. There were sightings here last year in this very same area, and I find myself looking around, looking for evidence. Man, I want to see a bigfoot here. You know, that's yeah, stuff like that. You know, <laughs> I, I don't always get that opportunity, but if uh, I do, if I have it, I, I'll take advantage of it. You know, I like, oh yeah. You know, can't help myself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. That's one of the reasons why I like my job. You know, is being able to drive through some of these wooded areas and. I've gone down a lot of different uh, country back roads, you know, and uh, yeah, but yeah, I'd rather drive down a country back road in that big truck instead of going through a city somewhere down these narrow one-way streets where you're mm -hmm. like, crap, am I going to be able to make that turn? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's the one thing I don't like either when I'm driving something big is trying to make it. I, I always used to hit street signs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you how many street signs I've taken out with trucks. <laughs> well, yeah, my my biggest thing, I never ran nothing over or short. Of, I I find myself, I'll drive up on a sidewalk on, on occasions. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I'm not taking my turns careful, you know, but some areas you can only take, but, a, you know, so wide of a turn, you know, without hitting other people in the intersection, you know, it's like yeah. crap. You know, so I was like, man, I found myself in like, oh man, this is kind of embarrassing that you can't, you barely make the turn and hoping that other people might edge away to get out of your way, you know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. like move, I'm going to hit you. <laughs> I said, I can't hit you. I need this job. <laughs> but yeah, this. That's life. That's my that's my job. But I love it though. <laughs> um. So so where can my listeners find you online? Well, uh, um. Yeah. I'm Daniel Benoit B E N O I T. Um. On Facebook and uh, yeah, I got my main Facebook page uh, timeline. Um. Uh, if 
But to be more specific, if you want to follow my Bigfoot and research and everything, find the ECBRO fan page. Uh, I also have the ECBRO Facebook group, which stands for the East Coast Bigfoot Researchers Organization. Um, it's a public group. You can easily find that one. Um, or you could also, um, you could also find, uh, I have other pages. Um, um, there's one page I have, it's called the, uh, uh, excuse me, the, the Bigfoot Press. I, I try to post and update that as much as I can. So, um, yeah, you're more than welcome to find me on my timeline and add me on Facebook. Uh, I'm also on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Um, but definitely uh, check out my website. You could actually contact me. There's a contact form through the uh, my event website. Again, that is vabigfootcon.com, so, um, which stands for the uh, annual yeah, it's the, for the annual Virginia Bigfoot Conference. dot uh, com. It's more of a family festival. Um, I encourage everybody to check that out because uh, that's going on June 26th and 27th of 2021. Um, you can simply email me as well because, um, you know, we, we have more room for vendors if you want to be a vendor, um, you know, or interested in speakers. If we still have a speaker spots available, mm-hmm. you can send me an email as well, uh, ecbro98 at gmail.com. Um, and then also, yeah, check out my latest book. It's a wildlife and Bigfoot field guide in an, in an objective view. Uh, you can find that on lulu.com or also my other books. Uh, another book I'll recommend is called Learning Bigfoot, um, which you can find that on Amazon. So, um, but definitely check those out. And uh, if you have any questions, just shoot me a message. You can message me on Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, wherever you, you guys feel fit. Cause I know not everybody has Facebook, so it's, uh, but yeah, I, I'm not hard to find on Facebook. Just enter my name and ECBRO. You can Google search me and find me that way. There's several different uh, posts and platforms, uh, on, on through Google search. So, but, uh, that's me, uh, Daniel Benoit, ECBRO. So. Awesome. And I'll yeah. post some of the links to that. Um, in the notes of the episode as well to make it a little bit easier for people. Okay, great. I appreciate that. And I definitely appreciate you having me on here. Um, I do apologize for the first time we were scheduled to come on here. I totally, totally forgot really. And (laughs) it totally skipped my mind. I'm not used to scheduling so far ahead sometimes, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's weird. Like, I mean, it's kind of funny. Like now, I mean, like, just so my list, my list was like an idea. I think today is like November 7th and I'm like booking for <laughs> January. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. So, well, um, I tell you what, um, I definitely, uh, if, you, if you're looking for other future, uh, you know, uh, people to interview and have on your show, um, I can probably suggest a few people I could send to you. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I guess um, I'll send them a link to your, uh, your Facebook page mm-hmm. if uh, if that will work, where yeah, they can contact yeah, you. Yeah, or, or just give them my email address. Okay, it's everything imaginable twenty twenty at gmail. Oh, okay, uh, that's pretty easy to remember. So, all right, all right. Um, yeah, I'll definitely. I'll yeah, like I said, um, I'll I'll send a couple different people your way, and um, you know. I know they like to get on there and talk too sometimes. So, <laughs> awesome. 
Yeah, um, perhaps I'll actually one of them, one of the people I'll send, um, and she loves to talk. I'll tell you what, she loves to talk. So, um, yeah, she's at, uh, she's from Alabama. So maybe uh, you could probably learn a little something from some Alabama people. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. I was All just, right, man. Well, thanks for coming on and have a great night. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Again, I really appreciate this. And, uh, yeah, if you ever want me to come on again, I, I, I myself love to talk, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're welcome anytime to come on. All right. Anytime, well, you thank you. To, anytime you have something to promote at one of your events, just reach out to me and we'll do an episode. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I'll reach out to you, see if we can maybe fit something in for uh, – Maybe at the end of May or beginning of June or wherever it can be put out. Yeah, because uh, like I said, my event is June 26th or June 27th. Um, maybe we could schedule something uh, a prior a month prior to that, perhaps. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Okay, because um, yeah, I'll have more information about the event and everything that's going to ha- take place, and and uh, perhaps who knows, maybe I will have something else. Um, uh, some more experiences because, like I said, I got a uh, camping event coming up in May. That will be for a whole week. So, and uh, oh yeah, and one thing uh, I will learn more about it. But there is also a Bigfoot documentary in the works that um I'm Justin Snyder has actually been doing some filming with me. We got a little bit more filming to do. Um, so yeah, he's doing a Bigfoot documentary with me, and uh, oh, it's actually he, been. Yeah, he, he hasn't told me about that. He must be being oh, okay. secretive. <laughs> well, <laughs> Justin's always messaging me. He doesn't. Oh, me. okay. Well, the thing is, it's um. At first, he didn't want me to say that either. But till after we actually officially started doing some filming, which when we had our outing a few weeks ago, um, mm-hmm. that's where he he did a lot of he did a lot of daytime uh filming. He did an interview with me on camera. Now uh, we did some exploring through the woods, and then when nighttime came, we did some more. And um, so yeah. And we actually picked up some vocalization. We had that. Uh, we had some weird scream. He actually posted a video um, at nighttime. If you listen very, very faintly, he's going to try to work on it to clear it up a little bit more. But um, we were actually across from the campsite in the woods, and it was me, Justin, because Justin was filming, and I was looking through a flur. I was just checking out the woods, and then it was my girlfriend's two boys that was with us. Cause he, he had one of them helping out with the lighting and everything. And, uh, and then we, we are all four of us together heard this, this scream, this howl, whatever it was. And it turned us all the way around. It was like, Whoa, you know? And he, he actually, uh, yeah, he has it on his, um, on his, uh, Bigfoot path of the beast page. So, hmm. yeah, yeah, you can check that out. It's, yeah, it's a short video. Cause we're done here. Yeah. Like I said, yeah, you can hear it, but it's very faint. But again, when we were there in person, we heard it very clear. Even though it was distant, and you know, we heard it very good. It was actually pretty exciting because I could tell you from my observation and from the way I heard it, it wasn't nothing. It was nothing known that I know that exists out there. That's for sure. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it was uh, pretty cool. It was exciting that we got to hear that. And the I know the boys were a little excited about it too. <laughs> they they got to hear something like that. That's so, good. but yeah, he oh, here he, it is right he, here. Okay, yeah, he messaged me a little while ago. Uh, not a little while ago, but um, earlier this week, uh, past week. Oh. Let me see if I can get and, uh, a mic here. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, like I said, you could yeah, try to listen to it. It might be a little faint, but. There it is. You guys hear that? Yep. Yeah. I just heard it. I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the kids got excited. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you can definitely yeah. hear it. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, he put that out there as a little teaser, but uh, yeah, he messaged me. He said, "He said we got to go out there again to see if we can try to capture some more." I said, "Well, hey there, that's why I told him." Tonight. Yeah, I told him I'll be out there uh, the week of Thanksgiving if he wants to come down. Because mm-hmm. yeah, he's only a couple hours from me. Uh, I know his area very well. I I do a lot of deliveries up his in his area. So, but uh, but uh, yeah. Yeah, he came down. He spent like all day, and he didn't leave till like probably like two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> uh, we're like, "You sure you don't want to camp out?" He said, "Nah." He said he told his wife that he would be coming back home that night. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he had a two-hour drive back home, two o'clock in the morning. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he really got back the next day. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Um, he didn't, you know, because. Out that area, there's no way he, you know, I know he didn't have no phone reception because out that area, there's no phone reception, nothing. So he didn't, I know he didn't have no, you know, contact, you know, contact with his wife. So he, she was probably wondering where the heck he was. Yeah. <laughs> but, unless he, I don't know, <laughs> but it worked out great. I, I really enjoyed that whole time out there. So, but uh, like I said, I, I don't know. I'll, he's going to let me know. Um, hopefully that works out. Unless he wants to come down for a weekend. You know, and spend some time out there during you know during the weekend, which most weekends I'm pretty free and available on the most part. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I guess we'll see whatever whatever is best for him. Because I don't know how, how his work schedule is and his life, uh, his home schedule. You know, because I know he's got the wife and two little kids. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was pretty cool. I'm I'm very glad to be working with him, and I'm glad he's working with me. And you know, so. I, uh, I know a lot of other people are excited about this uh, documentary that we're working on too. You know, um, I can't wait because our whole the plan is uh, is he's gonna ha- his plan is to have it ready and available to uh, as a premiere for our event in June. So because he's gonna be have a table, he's gonna be set up, and um, yeah, we're gonna premiere it at the event, and hopefully we can you know sell some DVD copies. You know, so. Yeah, maybe like sometime around that time too. Like I could just have you both on at the same time. Oh yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah just yeah, just talk to him about it. Uh, I'm sure we can get something worked out. Uh, I mean, like I said, um, I know. Um, yeah, because when I when I went on here to schedule this, I, I tried to if I can do. I know Friday nights is usually when I do my podcast, but if you ever have a Friday night available, I, I definitely prefer doing a Friday night. Um, yeah, Saturday, Friday, Friday, Friday nights are sort of like my date night. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. yeah. That's like my like one tonight, night that it's like my one night that I don't. <laughs> yeah, like tonight wasn't bad. I didn't mind tonight. Uh, it was a Saturday night, you know. Yeah, so Saturday like nights I, work for me. Usually Saturday night, Sunday nights. Yeah, because I don't have to get up the next morning, you know, because I'm off on weekend. So. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh, so, man! So thanks for coming on. Oh, absolutely. Thank again. Thank you for having me on. And uh, so, you know, in the future, I guess we'll chat again. So. Absolutely. 
Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.